I'm Connor. Uh, it's great to be with you guys. I'm, I'm your biggest cheerleader. You've not met me, but I really feel like I've met many of you. I know many names and many stories and just um, what God is doing here in Cody and in your lives. It's inspiring and encouraging a lot of people down in Texas. And so through our friendship and connection, uh, it's been a joy. And so it, it's really uh, a privilege to be here with this day of your guys' history, your moment, moving into this facility. And I can remember moving into ours and just um, everything God has done in the last few years down in our little context and then in y'all's. And so it's a privilege to get to share that. Uh, Greg mentioned, you know, he was down um, in Texas doing life with us just two years ago, two and a half years ago. And there was a day before Outpost was created uh, where we were sending him back to Wyoming. And so I actually have a picture of that day. This was me and some guys who were just um, laying our hands in front of our body, praying for Greg as he would come. And now to be here, that was years ago, and we've prayed continually for you. I mean, is surreal. And so this is kind of a leader-to-leader moment, a send-off of praying. Uh, but Greg is more than just a leader to me. This next picture kind of demonstrates uh, my relationship with your pastor, Greg. Uh, we were just guys who were goofing around half the time and having fun, and we're really friends. And so this next picture, if we got it, uh, is kind of what we did after we had the real moment. We got on the floor, was doing push-ups. So we're great friends. And in life, um, it's rare to have people uh, that you really love and get to do life with and feel like you're cut from the same cloth and are even going through similar experiences. So this is a fun day. I want to talk to you guys just about um, Ecclesiastes 7.8. It's one of my favorite pieces of scripture. And it says, Better is the end of a thing than its beginning. And the spirit of patience is better than the proud in spirit. And as you guys begin, you know, you're in the beginning years. This is kind of a new chapter you're in, moving into a facility. And I think the most important thing in the beginnings is to keep the end in mind. And um, when I think of that verse, just how the end of a thing is better, and that those who are, have a spirit of patience is better than those who have a spirit of pride. Just meaning it's easy to start things and then boast in the thing you started. It's hard to finish things well and keep and maintain a spirit of patience. Personally, I think of that verse um, in the Baxter family, the two generations above me, my father and my grandfather, were both pastors. And uh, unfortunately, my grandpa had a moral failure and kind of destroyed the church he was leading in, ran off with a gal who he's having an affair with. My father, when he was a lead pastor, um, just went through a burnout and ended up making the transition after a few years. And so I kind of always feel like I've got to warn people. In the Baxter household, we're 0 for 2. Now you've got the third Baxter, me. Um, so you should you know, keep your eye on me. Um, but, but because of that, I just started off the life of ministry really wanting to finish well. You know, not really caring about how it started, but more so, is it even possible you know, as an individual and leading to really do this for the long haul? And I thought about that personally. And then when I think about it corporately, if you look at a lot of just organizations in general, but churches specifically, most of them do not last long in the macro narrative of things. Most of them are just a few years, maybe a decade, maybe two, but a lot come and go. You know, I just was amazed at how many church plants I heard about were going on in Cody in the last few years. So 
for you guys, that's the idea. The idea for us this morning is just how in your beginning do you get to the end well? And I know in the church planning season and the moving into the facility season, it's easy to think three days out. This is more how do we think 30 years out and 300 years out? How do we prepare the next generation? How do we hand off this faithfulness journey with God to other people? And so uh, I can, you know, relate to a lot of what you guys are going through. Greg alluded to it. We're, we're in a lot of ways just one step ahead of where you're at on paper down at Onward Community Church in Frisco. We moved into a facility a year ago. Uh, if you were to come this morning on Sunday down there, it would feel almost kind of double the size of this. If you just traced how many community groups we have or ministries going on, we're just in that next season. And I tried to just say, if I could go back, you know, a couple of years and be where you guys are at, what would I tell myself? What would I tell the church? And what would I remind us of? And in some ways, I've gotten to bump up against some challenges and some headwinds that I think are coming your way that prayerfully will keep you from making some of the mistakes I've made and we've made, but in effort to be an encouragement to to you. So where um, I want to go is in Revelation. Uh, Revelation is a spot early on where where God is um, writing to some young church plants, some young outposts, and you get a chance. Jesus speaks to here specifically a group of people about 30 years down the road after they planted. And so one day you will be outpost 30 years old. And what kind of church do you want to be in 30 years? And what do you hope Jesus, your Savior, is saying to you in 30 years? And I want to just spend some time with the church of Ephesus. There's a rebuke that this young church plant got in Ephesus that I think will serve as a warning to us in our early years. And so if you go to Revelation 2, um, verse 1, and there'll be some scriptures behind me. Uh, But it says this, the angel of the church in Ephesus writes, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. So that's God. Jesus is speaking, and he's writing to this church who'd been around for three decades. And in verses two and three, it says, I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, and, but you have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you're enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake, and you have not grown weary. Jesus, this is an encouragement. Those three things there, that outpost, if you will, or the church of Ephesus got right. They were toiling meaning they were serving, they were working hard. They were pouring their lives out to the community. They were pouring their lives out to one another. Then it says they had, you know, sound doctrine. They knew God's word. They took scripture seriously. They corrected false teaching with true narrative. They let this be their source of truth. And so they were doing those things well. They served hard and they took their Bible seriously. And then it says they um, endured patiently. It'd been 30 years. They'd done these things continually. This is an encouragement. These were celebrations. These are things I see and have heard of you to keep and continue to do. And I love how it talks about the word patience. Um, you know, you will gauge your passion for Jesus, um, not when you're applauding, but when things get hard. That's really where you t- test patience. And this group of followers of Christ endured and they were patient they didn't expect things to happen in a day or week that god says takes years 
So they endured. And with all of those positive good things, here comes the rebuke. What could a church who served their hearts out, loved their Bibles and used it, possibly hear as rebuke 30 years later? This is the warning to me, to onward, to outpost that I'd encourage you with. Jesus says in verse 4, But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. The rebuke we are um, capable of hearing in decades to come, even when we serve, even when we memorize scripture, even when we teach God's word, is that we've abandoned the love we had at first. And so, as our kids scream, and we enjoy that in our new facility, (laughs) this is for them. Don't you get this wrong. They need to grow up and clearly learn how to love Jesus down there. Some of them are having more fun than that, I promise. Here's what I want to do as in terms of our um, just kind of outline is we really that line, this is, this is the message. Don't abandon the love you had at first. That phrase alone shows you three things. It'll teach you, if you let it, how to gauge success outpost as a church. It will teach you how to guide um, ministry and make decisions. And if you'll let it, it will generate for you endurance. What is it we need to keep going when things get hard? And so those are three G's, so just forgive me for my alliteration there. That's how my brain thinks. But those are the three things we're going to get I'm going to take you through. How do we not abandon our first love? We know what the target is, what the goal is. We know what success is as a church. If we know what success is, then we know how to guide ourselves as we live a life of ministry. And then you'll be ready when things get hard to endure. So how do you gauge success? The way... I would encourage you guys um, to not abandon the love you had at first would be this. Gauge success not based on your impact on the world, but Christ's impact on you. How do we know if we're being God's people? It's not tracing how many ministries you have. The goal is not ministry. The goal is ministers. How do I know if I'm somebody being who God wants me to be? Don't be deceived about thinking and expecting God to work through you in ways that you have planned. Just be sure that God is working in you as you go. That's how you want to gauge success. You don't want to get caught up in a life doing things for Jesus without Jesus. And it's possible. It's what the church of Ephesus did. They just started doing and having a lot of activity and having a lot of meetings and having a lot of cars in the parking lot and having a lot of people in seats and doing positive things in the community that really served people. But in their life of doing things for Jesus, they were doing things without him. So there's a story, if you want a good parallel, there's two gals in your scriptures in Luke 10, Mary and Martha, who have Christ over to their house. And as they're having Jesus there, one of them kind of appropriately sits with Christ. The other kind of goes on and just is busy and distracted with all of the things, all of the dishes, all of the ministry activities, all the setting of the tables and tearing them down. And she missed Jesus um, by being distracted with serving him. And so the rebuke in there in Luke 10, 41 through 42 Jesus is walking on earth and he's talking to these two. He just goes, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken from her. She's been still. 
She sat at my feet. She spent time in a relationship with me. There will always be plenty of things to do for Christ. There is no limit in Cody, Wyoming of things you can do for Jesus. But you need to limit your activity and your doing based on your being with him. So don't lose your love. Take it from me. I have uh, made some mistakes in this area. If you were to look at onward, you'd go, man, you guys are great toiling for Jesus. You know, so much so where you come in on Sunday and we have two services. You come on Monday. We have regeneration, a story like you just heard. We have a young adults thing going on Tuesday. We have students meeting on Wednesday. We have Bible studies Thursday, marriage ministry on Thursday night. You're like, man, that sounds like you guys are doing a great job and have a lot going on. And we got so far ahead of God that we ended up underneath my leadership creating more areas of service in our church than we had members. It's like, now wait a second. Everyone's going to have to pull double duty just to pull off what we're doing. And in our eagerness and in our desire to love God and seeing the broken in our community and wanting a place to invite them to and all the excitement there is in that, we got a overextended. And we just went beyond where God had us and literally created more areas of service a week, a week than we had members to serve. And so don't make that mistake, but just <laughs> slow down. Uh, one of my friends just said it this way, that healthy ministry flows out of healthy ministers. Healthy ministry will flow out of healthy ministers. Your job, that's just a um, way to say John 15, 5. I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Be a healthy minister, and you will create healthy ministries. Don't get caught up in your activities for Christ, missing Christ. There's a quote by a guy named Ian Bounds who wrote a book um, that I love called The Power Through Prayer. And one of his lines in there, he just says, the church is looking for better methods, but God is looking for better men and women. Men and women are God's methods. You, the church, the people, your heart, your story, your ministry, your abiding with Christ is what he will use to change people. You can contextualize that in different ministries like Regen or Bible studies or students' gatherings or worship nights, but make no mistake. It is men and women that God works through. And so um, be slow with him. A few questions just to ask yourself. Um, to just assess, how am I doing not abandoning my first love, being a healthy minister, being slow with Jesus? Questions like this, um, does the name of Jesus, is the name of Jesus on our tongues more than the name outpost? I know that's a good question to ask, because when I ask myself, is the name of Jesus more on my tongue than the name onward? It convicts me. Is the name Jesus on my tongue more than the name Connor? God kind of showed me a few weeks ago as I was teaching and preaching and talking about similar things. And um, even in my confession of sin, I am self-absorbed. And I noticed even as I was living authentically in community, which is language and life you're living, even as I was doing that, even as I was talking about my temptations and struggles and, and sharing with people where I'd fallen short and how I'd got frustrated at my wife again or I'd taken my anger out on my kids, even in those moments, the name of Christ wasn't really on my lips. Even in my confession, 
It was self-centered. Confession is supposed to just be something that turns us back to Jesus and reminds us of our need of our Savior and ultimately helps us worship and praise him for the fact that not only did he save us, but he's continuing to sanctify us. And even in my confession as a pastor, I was just talking about Connor. I just realized, man, I'm starting to abandon, even in great things like confessing my sin, my love for Jesus. Another question I ask myself is, can you articulate how your love for Christ has increased? And for you, can you articulate how, since the journey of outposts that you joined, or even this Sunday morning, how your love for Jesus has increased? If you can't trace that and clearly explain that, the warning would just be, hey, I think we're drifting from our first love of Christ. Don't abandon your first love. That helps you gauge success. It will also help you guide ministry. Ministry is just a um, contextualization of the gospel. It's just um, a different wrapping around explaining Christ's love for people. That's all ministries are. I can do that in a student's context. I can do that in a women's Bible study context. But either one of those contexts, I'm just explaining the love of Christ and how he's working. A signal for me, a signal for us, is when our um, is a love for Christ is going to be displayed in our love of Christ to others. So your love for Christ will be displayed in your love of Christ for others. How do I know if I'm starting to drift in my first love of Jesus? When you start to drift in your love for that which Christ loves, which is his people, it is always a signal to me that I'm not as close to the Savior when I start to live judgmentally or comparing or angry or bitter or lack forgiveness towards God's people. Jesus says this in John 17, verses 22 through 23. Um, This is uh, really where Christ is putting color onto his statement that he made in John 13. So a lot of you know John 13, 34, and 35. By this, people will tell that you are my disciples by the way that you love one another. Christ in John 17 is really explaining what he meant by that. What does it look like to love one another? So in John 17, 22 and 23, he says, the glory that that you have given me, I have given them. This is Christ praying to the Father. That they, the church, outpost, may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. What's the result of you loving each other, living in unity, and being one? So that, Jesus says, the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. The way that God's children live in harmony and unity is the most evangelistic thing to the world. Your unity is the most evangelistic thing to the world. Jesus says right here, it is the thing, the way that you are one is the way that people know that Jesus was sent from God. It's also the way that they will know that God loves them. How is that? How is it the way that you in this room love each other signals to everybody not in this room that God loves them? Because you're as jacked up as the rest of the world. Because you get as angry and frustrated as everybody else. Because you get um, politically engaged or your preferences pull you off sides. And you start to 
go at each other with all of the same situations and life context that the world does, and yet something different happens as a result. You seek forgiveness. You extend grace. You're patient. You don't cancel people. You continue to move towards them. When people see the way you love one another, it's the tangible example they have of God's love. There's only one place in the world to see the character and nature of God displayed. It's in the church. You can go to creation, and it points to a creator. You want to know the character of that creator, you go to his creation of the church, outpost, and watch the way they do life. In the midst of their disagreements, in the midst of their um, different socioeconomical statuses and their differences of preferences and opinions, and yet, despite all of those differences, whether it's age, finances, opinions, convictions, they live as one. Why? And you point back to Jesus. It's why he says here, your unity is important. Your unity is the most evangelistic thing you do. I've... Uh, done a lot to accidentally and sometimes purposefully disrupt unity at my church at Onward. Because Onward is so gracious, we're still a church. There's things I do that frustrate people. There's things I do that make it difficult to live with me. You can ask my wife. You can ask those I lead with. As a silly example, part of our story at Onward um, is we took two churches, one from Watermark Community Church and, and another church called Centennial, and we joined two churches together and launched Onward Community Church. That's just part of our story. And I can remember we moved into our facility for the first time, and as we were preparing that facility to gather in for the first time like you are today, I had a bright idea to take down a cross that was hanging. And uh, for me, there was reasons why I thought that was a good idea. What I didn't know was that the church we joined with, which was previously their facility, as they thought about merging or joining with another church, they said, hey, what are we willing to give up? Are we willing to give up our name? Are we willing to give up you know, these ministries? Are we willing to give up fill in the blank? You know, which doctrines are we not going to fold on all of that? The only thing they voted on that they were not willing to give up was the cross that I came in and took down. Now, that one was innocent, right? I didn't know that. I'm like, how? We spent months together talking about doing life. How come nobody told me about the vote of the one thing not to do, which was the cross? And so thankfully, on our first Sunday, the cross wasn't up. And I had to start our first Sunday like you guys just did, not with some of the stuff Greg said, but with, hey, guys, the cross is coming back next week. That's on me. That's how we started day one. <laughs> but thankfully, and that's just silly, but it, it was an honest mistake. But that really hurt people. Silly, sometimes even accidental things are really hurtful. But thankfully, somebody didn't assume you know, my motives and just came to me and said, I'm not sure you're aware of what you just did. Can I help you? And then they explained to me why that cross was so important. Why in the years of their life, when they didn't have pastors and when ministry and people were dwindling, when they felt like all hope was lost, they would look at that cross and they would pray. And they would remind themselves it's only about Christ. And then I ripped that thing off the wall. So, you know, they, they, it, but they held me and they were gracious. I'm telling you, this is going to happen here. There are things that leadership's going to do that will frustrate you. You've got to have the conversation. There's going to be things you do that frustrate the leadership. But the way that you are one, 
the way that you don't abandon your first love, the way you remind yourself that your first love, how he loves his people, when you let that be your model for ministry, it will guide you. You will thrive, not just survive. You'll be healthy. That's a silly example. A more serious example um, was when we started uh, ministry regeneration, which you guys are in the middle of starting. And as we sat with that leadership team and just um, talked about doing life together and setting them up to do ministry, they really wanted to have children's ministry as part of their adult ministry. And as leadership, we just came in and said, hey, we've done this a few times in some other ministries. Long story short, it's not possible right now to have kids ministry while you meet at Regen. And that was really hard for them to hear. And we had significant disagreement. And they could have been more passionate about, and I get it, why you've got to have children's ministry, even if it's just stick kids in a room and put on a television show so their parents can get healthy. And if their parents get healthy, their families will get healthy. And we've got to have this to do ministry. I mean, I understand the value of having that kids ministry there. There was no shortage of passion and conviction. And we completely disagree. And yet, because I think we'd spent time with Jesus and we loved one another and we were gracious and we had long conversations and we were committed to seeing this thing through. And at the end of the day, that's a secondary thing, even if we're really passionate about it. And to their credit, we stuck together and they've got a ministry that's going without kids ministry is thriving. But I'm giving you some skin on these bones to help you understand these things are ahead of you. These kind of disagreements that will seem like the biggest deal in the world. And it's because all you want to do is reach people for Jesus. And in that effort, collectively, you will disagree about how to reach people for Jesus. Those moments for you will be where you want to come back to not abandoning this love that you have for Christ and one another. There's got to be things you're willing to let go and trust God with. These are the kind of things that destroy churches when their unity is destroyed. It pops up in things like taking crosses down or ministry strategies to reach lost people. It will divide you if you let it. The next thing, um, or just some questions, this is, this is good, application, that I ask myself, maybe it'll be useful for you, um, but I think about, do I produce unity or division? in the midst of disagreements? Am I somebody where Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they are the children of God? Are we more likely to be unified in the midst of not aligning? Or am I one of those persons that dies on every hill, has to be my way? And even when I watch things that are going wrong, I can know what's right, which is to love and to commit and stick, and to see through in faithfulness. Do I create unity or division? The second question is, is the love of Christ guiding me in ministry? Am I using my gifts? Am I using my story, my time to share Christ with others? Is Jesus' love for me propelling me into ministry? Those are good questions to ask in the weeks and months ahead. The last thing is I just think about that phrase, don't abandon the love you had at first. Don't leave me is um, what I've found to be the very thing that generates for me the most endurance when things get hard. And so um, there's going to be times you're going to get tired, you're going to be weary, you're going to be discouraged, you're going to be impatient. There's going to be times where um, you're uncertain. 
And you're going to have to come back to this idea of, Jesus, how do I love you and love other people? And how does your love for me get me through these hard times? What I would tell you is what you want to think about right now is um, thinking about yourself in six months and just saying and believing that in six months you're going to be more discouraged, more weary, and more confused than you've ever been. What are the things you'd write down right now to tell yourself in six months? Because it's coming. There's just times where you're going to get tired. There's going to be times where you're like, man, I I remember some cool stuff, but I'm not so sure anymore. This is where you want to fall back to. You want to fall back to your reality that Christ has loved you, that he has already given you everything you need to meet every challenge of ministry ahead with endurance. When you can focus and zero in on Christ and his saving work for you, One of my favorite psalms um, is Psalm 98. And this just reminds me, this is true for me, I think it's true for you guys, partly because I know the guy who is on this mic the most, and he's a lot like me. But your guys' main challenges will not be forging ahead for Christ. It will be forgetting what Christ has already done. And remembrance is what brings praise and endurance. Psalm 98.1 says this, O sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His uh, His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. You, that, that is saying you should be singing a new song. It's not just an old song. It's this idea that God is always doing something in our midst. How do we do at tracing what God is doing today? And are we aware of those things? There will always be things that are challenges, but there is always things to celebrate. You've got to choose what you set your mind on. The challenges of this world are the blessings and the celebrations and the work of God today. I mean, this is maybe the message for this moment for you guys. This is a time where you are inside of a building that no one's been inside of doing this kind of ministry for years. There's been a lot of churches to come through this town. There's a lot of churches today that are doing great things and love Jesus as much as you. But God in his kindness has chosen this group of his children to get this gift of a blessing for the next couple of years. This is one of those times where you need to just understand God's favor. It's not because you're better, and I know you guys know that. It's not because you're doing something maybe extreme or extraordinary. It's like us, me. I've got three kids right now, the fourth on the way. And sometimes we give one kid something that we don't give the other kid. And it's not because we don't love each kid the same. But you don't always get what others get. But what you want as a parent when you give your child a good thing is for them to be grateful, for them to recognize not just the gift but the gift giver that you've got to understand. I don't know what else to tell you to say, that, or what else God could do to signal the outpost, that he is with you and for you and paving ways for you and providing for you. When you met in the rec center and when you gathered in hallways and when you were praying for buildings, God knew this day was coming. This is a moment for you to just realize your father is with you and he loves you. And the passage there and where you're going to have endurance is where you don't forget your God of love, where you don't forget the things he's done for you because there will be times when you'll look up and you're not sure what he's doing for you. 
And that's where you go back to all the things he's done for you. When it's unclear, you need to fall back on these times when it was clear. And it will get you through. You need to be really good, not just at forging ahead, but never forgetting what's behind you. This is a great chapter in Outpost's history. Today, in all of America, in all of the world, this should be the most grateful church in the world. You guys are experiencing something most churches probably will never experience, globally speaking, which is a facility that in some sense is permanent, where you get access to this all the time. You're not setting things up. I mean, it is here. You should be overwhelmed at the favor of God. And with that, whom God has given much, he expects much. There is great responsibility. There is stewardship. But my encouragement and urge for you, for the sake of your future, is to not be like those lepers in Luke 17, where God heals 10 people, but only one of those 10 turn to say thank you. But this is the day where you celebrate the good gift giver, and you should be thanking him for what God is doing. You need to, the way I wrote this down is, um, you need to sing your own songs. You need to take moments like this and just um, write these down and remember these times where God's given you. You need to, with those kids that are downstairs and having a blast right now and have quieted down some, they need to know, hey, there was a time God gave us and did something unique where he gave us a building and he gave us a facility and he removed hindrances that we had before for us to more faithfully serve him with our time. And you need to pass those stories that are yours down. How this plays out for us and how it generates a love for God that, that's enduring through the hard times is we start to sing our own songs. This week, Onward, we got a new song. I'm calling it the Lifeguard Song. There was a guy who uh, was a lifeguard at a pool that a few of our members were at. And as this lifeguard, who was just living normal life, heard some Christians talking about their love for each other and their love for Christ, he just goes, what are you guys talking about? I want to know who this Jesus is. I want to go to whatever church you go to. He ended up coming last week to Onward down there in Frisco and then followed up with him. And this week he put his faith in Christ. And so Jesus is moving. But those are the times where we as Onward need to go, hey, this is God moving. We need to write this down and we need to remember this because times ahead are going to be hard. But we need to remember the lifeguard song. We need to remember one of my other ones that was in the last couple of weeks. I call it the ankle monitor song. And so we had a guy uh, who was fresh out of jail and just some things had gone on in his life and his marriage was a wreck and he had made some terrible choices and he showed up with an ankle monitor. Now, I didn't know that, but as he came down forth, I didn't know about his ankle monitor, but I knew his story and we got to share Christ with him and he put his faith in Jesus and he's been coming and he's getting plugged into community and he's making better choices and God's starting to heal his marriage and we did a baptism a couple weeks ago and he was on the list of guys. I'm like, Michael's coming. We're going to get to baptize Michael. And then I go through our baptism day and, and Michael wasn't there. And I remember being so discouraged. Like, what happened? Did he get scared? Uh, did he get confused? And then later somebody told me, hey, he realized this morning that he still had his ankle monitor on and he wasn't sure if it could get submerged in the baptism. And so he didn't want to do that and compromise, you know, things with the courts and extend his sentence so he wasn't baptized today. And I'm just like, what an amazing song that the kind of people that God is bringing here 
our lifeguards, and folks with ankle monitors. And there's nothing we have down there or special about what we're doing. We're doing everything you guys are doing. But we're getting better at landmarking those moments and just saying we've got to trace God's hand. He loves us. He is for us. He is with us. He's given us a facility. He's changed people's lives. We need to fall back to these times and these stories when things get hard. And so write these things down. Sing your own songs. Today is one of the most miraculous things you guys will see for the next couple of years. Land and building, I know you know, is not the church. It doesn't determine faithfulness. Um, it can be the demise of you. It can be distraction. It can make you feel more special than others. I mean, this could be the worst thing you ever got. But surrender to Christ, it could be one of the best. I love looking back on the Abrahamic covenant. Land was a part of that covenant. There is something significant about having, you know, a ge geographical location, fourth, whatever the address was, where this will be your outpost. This will be the place where a lot, not all, but a lot of ministry will happen for you. And praise be to God. A few questions on that as I close. What songs do I sing of God's work and testimony? Have you this week reminded yourself of things God has done for you, reminded yourself of your own story and the way that God has redeemed you? How often am I singing God's stories? Am I ready to tell myself, what, what would I do in six months when things are hard? What kind of stories would I want myself to fall back to? How can I prepare those and write those down for when things get hard? So for you guys and for Onward, we're, we're in the same season in a lot of ways you are in terms of history. We're new. But I want in 30 years and in 300 years to not have to hear the rebuke that the church of Ephesus got. I don't want to hear, you've done all these things for me, but you forgot me along the way. I don't want us to abandon our first love. If you keep that before you, it will remind you what success is as a church. Not your impact on Cody, but Christ's impact on you. It will guide you in your ministry that you love those that Christ loves. And then ultimately, it will be the thing for you that generates endurance as you remind yourself of how much favor and blessing and redemption the God of the universe and the God of your Bible is doing today in you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you just for these friends that... Um, I hope I can encourage and inspire half as much as they have for me and for Onward in the years past. Thank you just for how their faithfulness has gone way further than this zip code and, and impacted the church in Texas. Lord, I thank you just for this facility. This is a rare thing to be given and gifted a geographic location that is in a way permanent to be accessed at any point for the sake of ministry. I pray it's not lost on us. I pray we don't get lost in the blessing and the gift, but I pray it's not lost on us, your love. Would you help my friends endure to hear, well done, my good and faithful servants. And would you give them a spirit of patience and not of pride as they begin. In your name we pray. Amen.